two of this broadcast. And coming up, Transformation Tuesday. One of the things I want to share before going into that, I always make it a habit of engaging and meeting new people. And it's kind of interesting, I mean, from going to stores to uh, just any kind of public places that I might frequent. From time to time, I run into people on a regular basis and engage in conversations. And some of those go pretty deep. Case in point. Past few days, there's a young man I've run into. 29 years old, black, young man. And we have had some extraordinary conversations. I want to tell you why I'm telling you this. Because I've repeatedly on this broadcast told you, do not make assumptions. Imagine my shock yesterday when we're talking. He brought up Black Lives Matter. And referred to it in very derogatory terms. Recognizing it as a scam. And making clear that he wants nothing to do with the victimology associated with the entire movement. I have just been shocked by these conversations. 29-year-old. It reminds me again... to have a greater sense of mystery about where people really are. We have no idea how many more people out there there are like him. That you might just look at and think, okay, here's another black liberal, you know, guaranteed Democrat voter. Not necessarily. We've not discussed politics yet. Not really. But I have to tell you, so far, I am profoundly surprised by the level of thought and engagement and discernment. I'm just sharing this with you as a reminder. (laughs) You just never know where people are. And I think one of the last things we need to do is to allow our association with certain organizations, people, whatever it is, to stand in the way of, number one, having some healthy relationships with people, and two, if we're concerned about a movement for freedom, for liberty, we need to make sure that is at the forefront, and people understand that's where we are coming from, and not allow the distractions, the loud, obnoxious nitwits that are allegedly within our movement to basically distract from our mission and basically to also turn off people to our mission to the point they don't even want to hear what we have to say because of our association with that. Just a little friendly reminder. I, it always fascinates me, uh, and I think it's so cool just to to recognize and to see evidence that not everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid. Just putting it out there. We've had a number of 
conversations about what is taking place at Asbury. And one of the big headlines yesterday, the fact that Asbury, the school, is basically going to shut down this thing Sunday or Monday, which I, I just think is absolutely bizarre. I do. I don't know how, if you think something is of God, you just unilaterally decide, well, I'm just going to pull the plug. If it's God who is behind it, if he is the initiator, he needs to be the one who continues and ends it at his leisure, which we'll talk about it based on what happens next. I want to stir it up a little more. I had a great conversation with my good friend, Lauren Rosser. Lauren used to be a youth pastor years ago. He is one of my closest friends. We had an extraordinary conversation on Sunday about all of this. I called him because I was like, I really wanted to get his take on the so-called revival going on in Asbury. And we ended up discussing so many things. Just a great time of fellowship. It really started with a post that he shared that I want to share with you now. I, I'm just going to warn you. It's pretty hard-hitting. This is something posted by Jake Stringer, and he really pulls no punches. So I'm just going to jump right in. The Asbury Revival. I humbly submit, absent of cynicism, as a former pastor who spent years studying so many of the teachings we were handed in evangelical Christianity with only a desire for people to become free. That the very need for revival, a.k.a. to have new life breathed into something followed by a return to stability, is first evidence the death of something was imminent and instability present. We must first ask ourselves, what was unstable and near death resulting in a need for revival? This, I, I'm so glad he's asking this question. I hope that once the worship sets in, the volunteers become weary and the energy to sustain 24-hour prayer wanes, that curiosity reveals itself as that which was near death and that that which God wishes to revive. And that's really the theme of his post, curiosity. I want you to listen to what he says about curiosity. Curiosity to know how followers of the way followed the Christ message for the first four post-resurrection centuries without a holy book. Oh boy. Curiosity to know why they were known for their nonviolence, refusal to engage in war, and inclusive love for all people, and yet Christians since the fifth century or so right after the Bible was compiled, began to be known as an exclusive, war-hungry people who believed mass killing was justified to expand God's kingdom. Curiosity to find out who first called this library of scrolls, that's what the root word for Bible means, library of scrolls, holy. I mean, seriously, when was the word holy placed on the front of the word library of scrolls? Curiosity to know why a library of scrolls was compiled in the first place. Curiosity to find out if those present at the Council of Hippo, Carthage, and Nicaea 
Heard God correctly as to which scrolls to include and exclude. Honestly, how do any of us know that they didn't miss it? I know I'm probably causing circuits to blow all over the Carolinas right now. I'm going to continue this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, whether you want to call or text. (laughs) Stay with us. On Transformation Tuesday, the Vince Coakley Radio Program. I'm sharing with you a post from Jake Stringer. And what he's saying there's a need for is a revival of curiosity. This is one of the things that is missing overall. And he really went to the heart of some sacred cows here in talking about things like the compilation of Scripture. Now, this is not, you know, I want to make something very clear here. I'm not endorsing or agreeing with everything communicated here. Uh, Let me just put it this way. What are you saying about curiosity? I am absolutely with him. Where these issues go is another subject. But one of the things that disturbs me is there's way too much assent to things that we have no idea where they came from. Well, this is just the way we've always done it. This is what we've always believed, yada, yada, yada. Let's keep going here. As he talks about the need for a revival of curiosity. Curiosity asks why there's such an overwhelmingly patriarchal narrative present in the Bible, except during Jesus' ministry, in which he consistently legitimizes, elevates, listens to, and empowers women. Curiosity as to why you see James, Paul, Peter, and other New Testament writers disagreeing theologically throughout the New Testament. Curiosity as to the Bible is one cohesive, non-contradictory, inerrant, univocal, unquestionable book, or if it's in fact a library of scrolls, as its very name informs, compiled from different writers at different times, from different cultures, with different ideas of what deity was and what deity wanted to accomplish in the earth that absolutely needs to be questioned. Curiosity regarding whether it was ever Jesus or Paul's wish to compile and bind these scrolls together. Curiosity as to why the first King James Bible had 80 books, the second 73, The Protestant Bible, we were handed 66. If the King James Version is the one perfect translation of the copy of of copies of scrolls used to compile the Bible, which King James Version? For there are three. Curiosity asks if Paul was mindful he was writing to anyone other than his immediate first century audience. Did he ever imagine the letters he penned to those he cared about across the region? would be compiled and presented as a flawless, cohesive, close-ended theological narrative for all people for all time in endless centuries to come. 
Curiosity asked why doctrines of afterlife punishment became part of the Christian narrative centuries after Christ's death and asked who benefits from these afterlife threats. Curiosity to ask why the word hell, defined as conscious torment and flame for endless afterlife duration, is absent from the biblical text and only appears in about a third of Bible translations. Curiosity to wonder if you'd ever have believed in afterlife torment if your parents had given you a Young's literal translation, for instance, which as a literal translation doesn't even contain the word hell because it's literally not there. Curiosity to ask why when you read the New Testament it appears the first century people, including all the apostles, sure seem to believe the death and destruction so many popular TV preachers say is looming ominously in our future was going to happen then in the first century to them. Perhaps it's because when Jesus said it was going to happen within that generation, he wasn't wrong. Curiosity as to when a baby is born, we all see pure and innocent love and light in their eyes, yet our preachers insist they're vile, separated, guilty sinners deserving of endless afterlife torment in flame. Curiosity to ask if one of your children turn out to be LGBTQ, if it's really God's will, to withdraw your love from said child, take them to conversion therapy, no longer welcome them in your home. Curiosity to ask if you want to be on your deathbed, thinking about how you abandon your own child and clung to your interpretation of a holy book, an interpretation you most likely never questioned. Harsh sounding, I know, but it's time to get real or we cannot move forward. Curiosity to ask if heaven would be heavenly at all if you find yourself there one day, yet the God you're with has created and is sustaining a scenario in which your children and others you love are burning in conscious, unimaginable, fiery anguish as you sing holy, 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 eternally at this God's feet. Curiosity to ask if this deity is worthy of worship at all, or perhaps this is a false narrative. Curiosity as to whether you want to remain in a life path that discourages questions, curiosity, doubt, open-mindedness, and growth. And if you want to raise your children in it and perpetuate this narrative. I hope curiosity takes hold among Christ followers like never before, including the self-appointed theological experts and gatekeepers themselves. These are just a few of the teachings I hope curiosity leads Christians to begin questioning. There are many more. I hope adults begin to listen to the hearts and words of unindoctrinated children regarding what the divine is rather than old men who are entrenched in their theological training and particular interpretation of the library of scrolls we call the Bible. I hope when history books look back on this revival be known as the revival of curiosity, one marked by a lasting, unprecedented increase in human consciousness, love, maturity, growth, understanding, and dedication to making sure the next generation never regresses back into the fundamental fear-based religion we escaped. Thanks to a divine revival of curiosity, I hope a stability remains like the one Jesus was attempting to usher in. I know this is loaded, and I know some of you are like, what in the world is Vince sharing? But I thought it was worthy to share and provoke some conversation and, dare I say it, curiosity? 
curiosity. That's Transformation Tuesday. Bring on the stones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Coming up, we'll talk about the presidential contest, including visits to Iowa. Who is going and also who is not showing up in Iowa as we continue our Tuesday broadcast. Stay with us. On the text line, in response to what I shared, this post about revival of curiosity needed and the news about what's happening at Asbury. Uh, By the way, before we get there, this texter is saying, please explain to me why you had to identify your friend as black. You spend so much time complaining when liberals do it. Why are you shocked? Why are you shocked at the level of engagement with a black man? Someone did not listen very carefully here. Let me just explain to you again what I've said plenty of times before. Sadly, so many people, frankly, in the black community, let me just say this more broadly. So many people, period, are not thinkers. They follow a herd. A lot of, you know... A lot of groups that are affected by activists are not independent thinkers. For example, a lot of women are not independent thinkers. They've listened to this propaganda about my body, my choice, for instance. And they don't even give thoughtful consideration to that human being that's inside them to learn the separate DNA and information that there's a world that goes beyond them. A lot of people in the black community, sadly, listen to and are very strongly influenced by people who have promoted a narrative That is, A, not true, and B, very self-destructive. And they follow it without thinking. That's why I needed to explain to you the whole story. Because many in the black community, all you have to do is look and see what the voting patterns are in the black community. Most vote Democrat. I'm I'm not sure if you know that. And I'm convinced most of them are not doing so because they're thoughtfully considering history and thoughtfully considering all of the issues that are at stake that really go beyond race. So that's why I find it very refreshing to have the conversation that I've described to you. And that's why I think it's important to, uh, it's not a bad thing to describe someone their race, or their gender, or their sexuality, whatever it is. The problem comes in 
is when we are geared toward identity politics. So, I hope that's helpful. Vince, the Asbury false revival is not of God. That's why it's going to end. (laughs) Okay. Let's not forget true revival starts at home. It starts when we surrender our lives completely. It starts when we repent. It will continue when we go and obey the Great Commission and pour into others. We don't do any of that. The church services we go to are just worthless white noise. Jeff, that is text of the day to me. <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness. That's just right on the money. And that's how I view much of what, frankly, what we're doing in modern so-called Christianity. It's white noise. It's a lot of noise, but it's white noise. Lease. Oh, boy. We're going to talk more about the presidential landscape for 2024, um, perhaps on tomorrow's broadcast. We understand that the president, Joe Biden, is about to speak now on Ukraine. I have said it's important for us to have a conversation about this. So uh, why don't we listen? I believe he is in Warsaw, Poland. Let's listen to what he has to say. From a visit to Kiev, and I can report, Kiev stands strong. <laughs> Kiev stands proud. It stands tall, and most important, it stands free. When Russia invaded, it wasn't just Ukraine being tested. The whole world faced a test for the ages. Europe was being tested. America was being tested. NATO was being tested. All democracies are being tested. And the questions we face were as simple as they were profound. Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, would we, would we the, all of our allies, would be united or divided? One year later, we know the answer. We did respond. We would be strong. We would be united. And the world would not look the other way. We also face fundamental questions about the commitment to the most basic of principles. Would we stand up for the sovereignty of nations? Would we stand up for the right of people to live free from naked aggression? Would we stand up for democracy? One year later, we know the answers. Yes, we would stand up for sovereignty, and we did. Yes, we would stand up for the right of people to live free from aggression, and we did. And we would stand up for democracy, and we did. And yesterday, I had the honor to stand with President Zelensky in Kyiv to declare that we will keep standing up for these same things, no matter what. When President Putin ordered his tanks to roll into Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. The Ukrainian people are too brave. America, Europe, a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific, we were too unified. Democracy was too strong. Instead of an easy victory, he perceived and predicted. Putin left with burnout tanks and Russia's forces in delay and dis, in disarray. He thought he'd get the Findalization of NATO. Instead, he got the NATOization of Finland and Sweden. He thought NATO would fracture and divide. Instead, NATO is more united 
and more unified than ever, than ever before. He thought he could weaponize energy to crack your resolve, Europe's resolve. Instead, we're working together to end Europe's dependence on Russian fossil fuels. He thought autocrats like himself were tough and leaders of democracy were soft. And then he met the iron will of America and the nations everywhere that refused to accept the world governed by fear and force. He found himself at war with a nation led by a man whose courage would be forged in fire and steel, President Zelensky. President Putin. President Putin is confronted with something today that he didn't think was possible a year ago. The democracies of the world have grown stronger, not weaker. But the autocrats of the world have grown weaker, not stronger. Because President Joe Biden speaking in Warsaw, Poland this morning. I'd love to get your thoughts. It's a fiery speech. No question about that. Stay with us. Back to the final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program. What did you think of that speech? I've got to tell you, and I'm I'm not saying this to you as a supporter of Joe Biden. I'm telling you, that was a well-delivered and fiery speech. It's also disturbing the content of it. Scott actually texted in and said, (laughs) this is the beginning of World War III. That's what's going on here. When Biden said the world wouldn't look the other way, it seems as though he forgot about the Uyghurs in China. Why do some people in countries are more important to our leaders than others? What are their basic principles in making those judgments? Sure doesn't seem based on a morality I want anything to do with, much less be governed by. Wow. Sounds like Biden's just trying to take off Putin. And I'm not sure that's a tree we should be barking up. Word salad from an old man not long for this world. Why should he care what happens? This texture in the upstate saying, but we can't even defend our own sovereignty. Nobody fears him. What a joke. What a joke. This texture would like me to post or share the article, the social media post that I was sharing with you a little while ago i may do that (laughs) it's uh i know it's quite inflammatory for a lot of people i'm just saying (laughs) about the speech nauseating those are my thoughts (laughs) you know sometimes this person says vince please turn biden off i'm getting a headache (laughs) i love the show This texter, always dumping on black people. Shame on you, Vince. You support the same party as the white supremacists and the Nazis. But we don't judge your intelligence, but you judge ours. Shame on you, Vince. Really? Why don't you call in and let's have a conversation? 
Nobody's dumping on black people. Nobody's dumping on anybody. And if you heard my initial comment and my explanation to you, the thing that I said is, overall, most Americans don't do a good job of thinking. We really don't. We follow herds. And there are different herds. So, if that's offensive, then you want to somehow turn that into something anti-black, then shame on you. All right, time for us to take a look at the day in history. Chris, how are you today? Are I'm you there? A, I'm oh. doing well, Vince. I'm hoping oh. this isn't the last day in history. Uh, this, yeah, tell me about it. All this talk that's going on. Yeah, it's getting interesting for sure. And intriguing enough, two of the countries that have been discussed today, Russia, China, are very much, very much in place today because of this man. 1848, he published his Communist Manifesto. Who was that guy? Well, Karl Marx. Karl Marx uh, is the guy. The Communist Manifesto. That's him, all right. And it's still with us today. 1885, the Washington Monument dedicated. 1931, Miles Labs introduced this particular product. Do you remember the commercial back from the 1970s? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Yeah. Alka-Seltzer. An absolute good. If you need an Alka-Seltzer, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having an Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> Sometimes it's the only thing that will do. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a product that's uh, served a lot of people for many, many years. 1931, when that was introduced. 1948, this organization was formed. Formed for people who love to drive in a circle or watch people driving in a circle what is the name of that organization uh, who invented the roundabout <laughs> you're so silly was it mr carousel i guess uh, uh, auto. <laughs> uh, we have a hall of fame that is uh mr hooper for, for this organization what is it uh, uh auto racing nascar oh, nascar okay. nascar very good 1948 introduced this country uh, placed all industry under the direct control of the government 1960 is the year it's in our hemisphere and uh, boy they've been giving us trouble for quite some time with their fiery leader Fidel Castro what country was this well it ain't Haiti <laughs> that, would be, that would be Cuba that was Cuba 1965, the assassination of Malcolm X in New York City. 1972, this president visited China. That was very significant at the time. Thought it would never happen. Well, 62, it would have been JFK. 72, 72. Oh, 72. 72 would have been uh, Nixon. That's tricky, Dick. Absolutely. And 1981, the number one hit, 9 to 5. Dolly Parton, remember that one? Wow. Oh, yeah. Working 9 to 5. Yeah. Back when that was considered a long day. Yeah, if they only knew, right? 